Hi friends, Robin here, and I have got a game changer for you. Maybe you're like me and you're feeling the winter blues right now. Well, let me tell you about my recent game-changing experience with Brook Linen. I decided to shake off the cold and give my bedroom a complete makeover. How, you ask? Well, with a spring bedding reset, thanks to Brooklinen. So trust me, okay, transforming my room from chilly to cheerful, it was completely simple. All I did was I treated myself to a new Brooklinen duvet and talk about a mood boost. It's like a color refresh for my entire bedroom space. I had no idea that changing linens could make such a big difference. So let's talk about Brooklinen's magic touch, okay? From luxe sateen to classic pre-kale, there is a sheet weave for every type of sleeper. And can we talk about their award-winning sheets made with long staple cotton? I'm talking about saying goodbye to restless nights. And the best part is that Brooklinen's new sheet patterns are inspired by the colors of nature. And, and you know what? That makes it a breeze to just bring vibrant energy of spring right into your bedroom. So whether you're starting fresh or you're spicing up your current setup, Brooklinen's customizable bed and bath bundles, they've got you covered. Plus, you are going to save up to 25% when you bundled. Yeah, you heard that right. So let's kick off the spring refresh together. Visit brooklinen.com, that's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and you're going to use the code DEARHEADSPACE for $20 off your order of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Use promo code DEARHEADSPACE for $20 off. Your bedroom's going to thank you, and so will your mood. Happy sleeping, folks. Headspace Studios is supported by Factor. Y'all, eating better is so much easier with Factor. These ready-to-eat meals are fresh, never frozen, chef-made, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week. And they've got something for everyone, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, There are more than 60 add-ons to really make it your own. It's easy. They're delicious. I recommend it. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash headspace50 and use code headspace50 to get 50% off. That's code headspace50 at factormeals.com slash Headspace50 to get 50% off. Headspace Studios. There's this idea that as a parent or as anyone, when you're trying to convince someone or something of doing something, you're taking up the best lines. And that means that you're, like you want your child to say why they would find benefit instead of you telling them why there's a benefit there, right? So you can kind of change the questions around when you're having that conversation with them so that you're giving them the best lines. Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. 
Hello, everyone. We are so excited to have you here with us here at Dear Headspace, a podcast where each week I sit down with a Headspace meditation teacher and we answer your questions. I'm Robin Hopkins, and today I am here with Sam, who I have recently taken to calling Sammer, um, just because, you know, that's how we roll. I love it. <laughs> Hi, Robin. I did it in an email and I was like, Sammer, I was like, do you mind? I just have to. I've been given the weirdest nicknames over the years, and I love it. I just, it's just more love, so. Okay, well, now you have to tell us what are some of your nicknames that are appropriate for the air. <laughs> no, they're innocent, but they're, like, one friend of mine calls me Sam Bones. I'm, I'm like, I don't know what that I is. Is that a that. reference I to something? That. I don't know, but I, okay. Um, my mom, strangely, calls me Samantha. Like, oh. she'll go, she'll get to the TH in my name, but then. Not and then she's just the like, now I'm done. She also <laughs> used to call me and my sibling, the girls, uh, beauty queens, which <laughs> was very interesting. <laughs> Hello, beauty queens. Please report to the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't mind it. Didn't mind it. You know, I just am not one of those people that has nicknames. I, no? I just like nobody. I mean, you know, that just doesn't. My mom did call me Punky. Is that is that like uh, from Punky Brewster or no? Uh, no. It just she just called me that. And what's weird is I call my daughter Punk, oh. and it just feels right. It's weird. No, I know. It's like they come out and like my husband calls his daughter or did when she was. Uh, he still calls her that sometimes. But store corv, which means in Swedish means uh, long sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> she was a long baby, you know, so yeah, long she's sausage. horrified by it as a 14 year old. But as, yeah, yeah. I, by the way, th there were so many things in that sentence from long sausage to the word being totally in Swedish and me being like, what? <laughs> that was brilliant. That really that threw brilliant. you off. <laughs> it really did. I loved it. Uh, well, I am. I am so it's just so good to be sitting here with you today. I am fresh off about of COVID. My entire family got hit. And that it yeah. was it was I'm going to say there's fun things in the world. And then there was that. That was yeah. not, it was not fun. Well, it, I'm so glad you're feeling better. And it, it does. It takes its own time. And I it takes the time it's going to take. And I just got over being sick. But yeah. Yeah, it's like every time the brain just catastrophizes. What What is the best way to approach, you know, your health and your wellness from a mindful mm. perspective? Yeah, well, it's interesting because what first comes to mind to me is this moment in my life when I, I, I started working out very at a very young age. My mm -hmm. mom loved working out and I used to go with her to step classes and aerobics oh, when I was I like love that. 10. Yeah, it was so much fun. Um, and then after high school, I got into weight training, or in high school, I got into weight training. And I remember I would just talk to some of the personal trainers there. And um, one of them told me, because I was following a protocol that I would read from like Self Magazine or Teen Vogue or whatever. And uh, But anyway, this one personal trainer taught me to pay attention to how your body's feeling as you're as you're doing these reps and then see, you know, when your mind tells you, oh, that was the last one for me, you know, I, oh. I can't do more, then do one more, you know, and then stop. So that was, I remember that was like the first time when I um, realized that from a mindfulness perspective, you know, I can, I can allow my awareness of my body to guide what I do instead yeah. of a prescriptive plan that I found somewhere. Um, but I think that is that's really important. Just as we 
as we cultivate mindfulness and greater awareness, what they call interoceptive awareness, so that Mm -hmm. awareness of body sensations, of the feeling of our breath moving in our body, hunger, fullness. Yeah. Um, As we practice that daily or regularly, we start to notice when we need something a lot sooner than if we weren't being mindful or if we we didn't have mindfulness as more of a trait or a, a dispositional quality that we have. Yeah. So we're drawn in and we go, oh, like instead of catching your hunger or catching your fullness when it's at a 10 out of 10, you start to notice it when it's at like a two out of 10. Yeah. So you can take better care of it. And the same goes for um, pain in the body, fatigue, uh, feeling symptoms of burnout or, you know, whatever it is that's that your body's giving you a signal, you know, to pay attention and to to kind of change your course of action or take care of it in some way. Well, that is just, that's just all so helpful. And I feel like that's enough about us. And I think we should get to the questions. (laughs) We have some really thoughtful questions today about when your child doesn't want to go to therapy, how to handle insomnia, and the age-old question, do I have to do everything with mindfulness, right? <laughs> so I think question. we should just get to our first question. Are you ready, Sam? I am ready. Okay. I am ready. Okay. I have a 11-year-old daughter who has some social anxiety, and we have been told and we believe that she could get some value from seeing a therapist to help her work through some of these, these issues that she's dealing with but she absolutely refuses to go and has not given any sort of daylight to the idea. And so the question is, how do we know when to force the issue? So how do we know when to say, we know it's best for you and we want you to go do this versus, you know, kind of backing off and and letting her make her own choice as it relates to uh, seeking help? Yeah, well, what first, with all these questions, what first comes to mind is just so much compassion, especially from a lived experience. I was taken to therapy at 11, and I have this very sharp, sharp, clear memory of sitting in the waiting room and being horrifically anxious. (laughs) Like Mm. it was, even, it just brings it back now. Like I remember being so intimidated. It felt so sterile. I immediately felt like I was the problem, like something was wrong with me. And the, and I'm expressing things. I've worked with a lot of kids who are at that age and um, going to therapy and also seeing me as yep. the mindfulness coach. So I'm echoing what I see as I'm talking about my own experience. I'm, I'm also realizing this is part of a collective experience that yeah. a lot of kids express. But anyway, so all of those qualities, like the sterility, the the fact that you're you're being singled out as a having a problem, that you're um, in an office with someone who you don't know is a stranger, and um, and you're supposed to like you kind of know you're supposed to share the most vulnerable parts of your of your psyche yeah. with this person, and your parents are telling you, you know, they're trust them, they're professionals, like they'll help you and. But you also know you have no idea who they are and if they you have no idea if they care about you. Yeah. Right. You you know that they're being paid, so you can kind of see it as and I think not just kids, but adults struggle with this as well. Like yep. do does my therapist really care about me? Do I matter? You know, so so all those questions are going on. And I as an adult now have the 
vocabulary and verbal ability to express all that. But at this age, um, especially the preteen age, it marks a period when the complexity and nuances of emotional experience are at an all-time high for that child at that age of development. Mm-hmm. But their verbal capacity and prefrontal cortex yeah. um, abilities, executive functioning, doesn't match the the onslaught of emotional complexity that they're hit with at this age. Yeah, they don't have so, the ability to say what they're feeling, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's a mismatch. Yeah. And so what happens when we can't express something or we don't have the words for it? It like simmers in us and it boils in us. It, it The um, angst builds. So having said all that, it's so important to take time to talk about issues like trust, right? Like bringing up that issue with your daughter and going, what is, like, think of a friend you have um, that you trust, that you, would, that you would share something personal with. And what is it about this person that, that helps you feel trusting and, and feel safe sharing with them? And you can just start to unpack some of the qualities that they're going to need to feel comfortable and safe enough to enter therapy and start talking about it before the therapy even happens. Yeah. And to normalize that, you know, and then to um, really honor their autonomy. I know it's hard because you see their social anxiety um, getting maybe worse and worse. Well, and because somebody is telling them that your child would benefit from this. Right. That makes it, I think, difficult as well. Right. Where you're being told by someone that you trust and is an expert, like, hey, this is this warrants um, therapy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can I use you as a, a as a guinea pig, Sam, yeah, to say absolutely. like what if you take yourself back to yourself, that that like 11 year old who was like struggling and sitting in that sterile room, what could have been done differently that might have changed that experience for you? So it's in the specific. Yeah. Well, I think them talking to me about like what I just said about trust, like Mm -hmm. asking me, what are some fears that are coming up going to therapy? Like talk about the process of entering therapy itself instead of, you know, emphasizing that this will help. You know, you should do this. This this will help this problem. There's a lot of convincing that goes on. Yeah. It's also I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, insight and wisdom from the coaching world. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of coaching training right now. And there's this idea that as a parent or as anyone, when you're giving, when you're trying to convince someone or something of doing something, you're taking up the best lines. That's what they call it. You're taking the best lines. And that means that you're like, you want your child to say why they would find benefit instead of you telling them why there's a benefit there, right? So you can kind of change the questions around a bit when you're having that conversation with them so that you're giving them the best lines. Yeah. Meaning like you're you're asking in a way that allows them to express um, what they think they could benefit from and what they want to get out of it. Well, then they have ownership over it, right? You know, you can't make somebody, they have to want it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, then you get locked in a battle. And I've had this with my stepdaughter for mm-hmm. sure, where I'm like, but this, but you should do this, and this would be great, and and how fun, and it, there's all this efforting that you're putting forth <laughs> trying yeah, to, yeah. and then they get more and more stubbornly stuck right oh, where yeah. they are. I find that talking about my own experience, um, leading with that with my stepdaughter, and being like, "Wow, I have a f- who do I really trust?" You know, I trust Papa, my partner. I trust him because of this. Like every time I talk to him, he does or share something vulnerable, he he responds with kindness and love and acceptance. And who's someone that comes to mind for you? 
or like asking about a time when when um, she feels stuck. Yeah. Like when have you felt stuck? Like you couldn't, you're stuck in an emotion and what, if you could name that emotion, what would it be? So just getting really curious about her experience and kind of taking off the table the the therapy for the moment and just uh-huh. getting to know, showing that you're genuinely interested in getting to know what her experience is like right now. Sometimes, I mean, like when somebody pushes me to go work out or or like, but the pushing for me has to happen in a way that's empowering and not telling me what to do. Well, have you ever said to your kids, there's no leeway on this? We're, we're doing this. This is happening. Yeah, but, but, but here's the thing. We, I set it up with them like this. I'll say there are there are many things that we allow you to have a voice on. And in those things, you can try to talk me out of it. You can make a case. But then there you, you have to understand that there are certain things that I am your parent. And this is this is the thing that is going to happen. And, and I will tell you in advance or as I'm saying it, that there is no this is not open. Like and that's because it's for your safety. And it may be sometimes something you just can't see right now. I agree. I think with therapy. Therapy, it's a bit different because yeah. you can't, for, you know, the, we, we really can't force anyone to do anything. I mean, that's that's just an illusion. Yeah. I mean, maybe when, you know, children are very little, we can pick them up and place them places. <laughs> but, you know, as they get older, they there has to be cooperation. There's there there. You have to work together to negotiate things and to um, to work with no's, you know, to to not see a no as a final no, to see it as an opportunity for them to learn how to negotiate and how to um, think deeply about what they want, why they want it, and then to to present it as a family and talk about it as a family. Yeah. So I, I think every opportunity, I, I it's really helpful actually to look at resistance as an opportunity and to model that, to look at it and go, oh, interesting. Okay, what's happening here? Right. I think I I just keep thinking of meet in the middle, meet your kid in the middle and then see what happens. I like that. Thank you so much for your question. And really good luck. Uh, Don't be afraid to let us know how it all turns out. We're here. We're invested. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's go to our next question with Amanda. Dear Headspace, my name is Amanda and I'm from the Midwest. I like to be soaking up motivating podcasts, apps, books, etc. like Headspace. They keep me inspired and trying new self-improvement methods. One quote I keep hearing is how you do anything is how you do everything. I want to be on board with this sentiment, but it stresses me out. Do I really need to load the dishwasher with as much care and enthusiasm as I have when baking that loaf of bread? Is there a different way to look at this quote that I'm just not seeing? <laughs> That's that. I feel like that could have been me with that yeah. question. <laughs> me too. I right? feel that same pressure all the time when I'm, yeah. Am I being um, mindful enough? Is, is this, <laughs> am, am I relaxing? I should be relaxing. I love the one, and it's, I, I love Thich Nhat Hanh. He's one of my favorite Buddhist teachers. Um, but there's a quote by him that says, it's nice to wash a dish as if you were washing the baby Buddha or baby Jesus. I just I just hear pressure with that. <laughs> yeah. Like I like and I that's why I'm relating so much with Amanda is like yeah. I, as a person who as a perfectionist by nature and I put so much pressure on myself like if I'm going to be if I'm going to be mindful then I have to I have to really be mindful and it's like I how do we Sam how do we live in that level of pressure? You can't be mindful 24-7, no. can you? 
Yeah, no, it's that's unsustainable. But what comes to mind is is what happens, what we know from brain research and, and research on mindfulness that has been just so much more robust over the years, is that what happens when you have a steady mindfulness practice, meaning like seated meditation mm-hmm. and maybe walking meditation, but but really a concentrated practice, that you move from having states of mindfulness, like having mindfulness as a temporary state where you go, wow, I was really present or I was really attending, attentive to my breath. So those are the states you start to notice as you start to practice. And then over time, it becomes a trait. So they talk about this movement from state to trait. And when mindfulness becomes a trait, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're washing dishes, you know, with so much grace and and, and beauty. And it's more about, I keep saying this too with people, is like it's really about the relationship that you are your default relationship to your mind, to what's happening in your mind. But it doesn't mean that you have to be so careful and so precious with with everything all the time. But it does start to happen where you make this movement, you, you develop mindfulness as more of a disposition that you embody. And the way that, I can't say how that has shown up for everyone because I don't know their experience, but I know for me, I'm aware of, for example, when I accidentally slam a door shut sure. or I'm, you know, rough with yeah. something, I go, whoa, what did that, that felt, it didn't feel good in my body to be that rough. So wait, I, so I just have to get clarification here. So are you, so are you dialing in on this because you feel like you're not paying attention or being in the moment because you're just slamming things and not thinking of other people or like, tell me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's mostly because I'm in a rush. I, okay. When I'm trying to get something done, I often, um, my urge is to rush through it um, because I want to get back to work or I want to get to the next thing. And so I take that as a cue. Mm-hmm. That's my cue to slow down. I just go, whenever I feel that urge or that rush or that like haste of of screwing something back on, I take a breath and I go, okay, I'm going to do it a little bit slower. Not like ridiculously slow, but I'm just going to (laughs) tone down the speed maybe to like 30%, sort of 90%. And um, that helps me a lot. It's a a regulatory practice, right? Mm -hmm. It regulates my... Um, stress in that moment or my urgency, and it allows me to recalibrate and bring myself back to the moment that I'm in. Does that make sense? It does. So what I want to say as like sort of a follow-up is, so Amanda and maybe this, you know, asking for a friend, Robin, how do we know when it's okay to zone out and to just do the dishes in a non-mindful, just like I am I'm thinking about my wallet or I'm thinking about nothing or I'm, you know, because it's like you like you said, you can't be mindful all the time. So how do I know when it's okay to not be mindful, to wander off, as I like to say? Right, right. So one thing is first knowing that your your continued practice, your daily practice or your regular practice is going to help you by just automatically become more mindful as a as a part of your disposition, as part of right. how you are. So that, that's something you can remind yourself of and take comfort in. Like I don't have to do anything. It's just my practice is is making me more mindful. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. My practice is making me more mindful. And then choosing, if you're a beginner to all of this, it's I find it really helpful to choose something small. 
like I like I described with screwing on caps or cleaning. Yeah. It's it's something small. It's a cue that I'm taking to practice and and it's rewarding me. It's it's actually making me feel not stressed or forced or um you know like oh, this is so annoying. Why do I have to be mindful all the time? Yeah. <laughs> That's not how I feel when I'm doing it. It's more of like I'm regulating my my sense of urgency and rush. So you want to find something. You can find something like that like an activity for you or something you do every day. Maybe it's even just walking upstairs, like you tend to rush upstairs or you tend to, I don't know, when you put your seatbelt on, when you're about to start the car, you do it like in a rushed way or you, you know, and just slowing down, just taking that instance or that one thing that you pinpoint as your opportunity to slow down and become more mindful of it. Like what does it feel like as you click in to the seatbelt or what is it how can I bring more awareness to this moment and and experience it and then let your so that's just one moment in your day and then the rest of the day do whatever you want it's like you're off the hook so you create these manageable bite-sized moments for yourself and that becomes I think from just working with people I've heard that it becomes rewarding in and of itself it makes you want to slow down more often it makes Look you for want other it. moments right yeah exactly exactly I've done a lot of Tai Chi and a lot of qigong and it's it's so helpful for me because it's I need to slow down like my that is my big overarching regulatory goal is like finding ways to slow way 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 down yeah and so I love the feeling of slowing down I love the feeling of being grounded and all the wonderful positive consequences that come from slowing down so it becomes when I start rushing in my life and I start moving too quickly that little, the memory, the muscle memory of yeah. doing Qigong or Tai Chi comes to mind. And I go, oh, I can do it right now. Yeah. You know, and sometimes <laughs> I literally do. I'll just like raise my hands up really slowly and then slowly bring them down. And I feel an energetic shift yeah. that immediately makes me feel better, you know. Yeah. So it's like I get to choose that because I'm going to be, I get to choose how I relate to my life forever. Yeah. And I'm going to choose this one because... Right now, that's going to work really well for me. So, Amanda, what what you should hear is you can just zone out while you're doing the dishes, but pick your thing that you want to do, do you want to work on in small doses. Yes, right? absolutely. Pick something, use it as your cue, be playful with it, be curious about it, and pay attention to how it feels as you practice that way. Like, take a moment, take a break, and go. Whoa, it feels good to slow down, or oh, it didn't feel good to slow down. Like I felt, I still felt a rush. Both ways, both, no matter what you notice, you're being mindful. Yeah. Noticing is mindfulness. So Uh, you have this, Amanda, you got this. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Okay, so we have one more question from Lisa. Here we go. Hi, this is Lisa, and I'm from Northwest Arkansas. And I was wondering if you have any tips for dealing with insomnia or with anxiety. Any suggestions? I deal with a lot of insomnia and uh, anxiety at night. 
or when I'm trying to sleep. And so I was hoping to get some tips from someone. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this message. Thank you very much. Oh, Lisa, mm. she sounds so tired. I know. I feel for her. I'm. I. I. I, I know. Sam's placing her hand over her heart because just yeah. you can just feel like that. It does take a toll, you know. And there's two parts to this question, so I, I want us to touch on both. There's the part about the insomnia and then night anxiety. What What are What are your thoughts on all this, Sam? Yeah, they're very much coupled. And uh, when we get into that state of anxiety before bed, you know, we're we're wired. Um, I just heard a quote today about about that state that we're in, which is wired and tired, Ugh, right? So we yes. have that fatigue, we have that will and that desire. Our whole body wants us to sleep, but our brain is just Ugh. spinning. And there's almost, I think, almost nothing worse than that feeling of absolute exhaustion mm-hmm. and you can't sleep. Yeah, it is. And I know for me, I get really, when I can't sleep because of, I get a lot of anticipatory anxiety, mm-hmm. really, really intense um, when there are big changes in my life or tomorrow I'm getting oral surgery. So I was already up a little bit longer than I should have been, um, that I wanted to be last night, just thinking about it for tomorrow. And then you get anxiety, I get anxiety, and this is common for a lot of people, to get anxiety about what the day is going to be like with this lack of sleep. Yes. And for me, um, especially when I'm doing therapy with people or um, not therapy, but coaching, my my ability to pay really good attention to them is so important. Mm-hmm. And my ability to be present is so important in service of, of the session that if I am sleep deprived, I will, that will be compromised, that ability. Like I will lose focus. I will forget what they said. I will, I mean, just my cognitive abilities will, will be um, stunted. And so that's scary and rightly so. So what I try to tell myself too in those moments is that first, just to remind myself of the support that I have, you know, there's, there's a lot of reassurance that goes on and you can do this mentally or in writing. It's so good to take time and just let the voice of worry speak in, you know, through through your writing uh-huh. and then to offer some reassurance to it, like speaking like directly bed? to your fear. Before bed. Yeah. yeah before bed. It, it would be best not to do it in bed because our brains associate um, the bedroom and the bed uh-huh. with sleep. And so if we start doing other things in bed, it's... Um, that it'll start to associate that and actually can make us feel more alert. So right, right. maybe at dinner time or just any time you have in the day, just giving yourself and even scheduling time to let your worries speak, to just kind of let it all out on paper or with a friend, speaking or writing, whatever you prefer. And that'll let that really does free up your mind when it comes time to sleep. Yeah. So it's really, it's a very powerful thing to do to help yourself. And I find it just really helpful to be reassuring, to tap into that voice of reassurance within myself and to say, you know, if you can't do, if you can't see this client tomorrow because and you're trying your best, you can take a sick day. You know, you can yeah. just say, I, I can't do it. it. It won't be the end of the world. And, um, and also reminding myself that so many other people have experienced in, insomnia and anxiety and will be understanding. Not everyone, but most people would would be understanding of that and compassionate toward that experience. So that can set you at ease as well. What about, you mentioned that 
you shouldn't do, you know, other things in bed. But like, is it okay to meditate in bed, like before bed to to try to bring yourself like because I'm I'm just wondering about like healthy sleep habits. But although I do think that um, for Lisa, it does sound like this is more of a chronic thing versus a a one off. But, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of sleep habits and like what would be helpful to build into. Like when you have a toddler, they tell you to do the same things at night. So like when we first had my daughter, like at seven o'clock, we, all the TVs went off and then we brought the lights down. And then every night we read this like three books and then there was the bath and there was like this like nighttime routine that started to build sleep habits. Yes. So I'm wondering like bringing the meditation piece in, could that be part of a sleep habit? And And what are your thoughts on the sleep habits? Absolutely. Yeah. All the research shows that having a routine that you stick with, like going to bed at the same, roughly the same time and getting up at roughly the same time and starting your wind down, you know, a few hours before bed. So you are eating. It's hard to eat at the same time as adults, you know, if we don't have anything grounding us like children to, to, you know, we do it in service of them. And then we kind of latch on to that um, routine ourselves. But um, as much as you can, just having regularity in and having a routine and definitely making meditation part of that routine. I think that's incredibly helpful. Meditation has been shown to increase the quality of our sleep and the, the ease that we have in falling asleep. Yeah. I would say as far as meditating in bed, it depends what kind of meditation you're doing. If your meditation is, if it's about focus and concentration, I would say maybe do it outside of the bed. But if it's a if it's focused on relaxation, you can do things like progressive muscle relaxation or yoga nidra or use Headspace has incredible content, uh, sleep content and mm-hmm. sleep casts. All of that is really that that will associating bedtime or your bedroom with that won't be a problem. It's going to help you fall asleep. Um, But looking at screens, of course, I think we've all been told this a million times, (laughs) just really (laughs) dimming the lights, not looking at screens and um, just look at it long enough to press play and then turn it over and, and listen. It's part of our modern world. It's very difficult. We're so connected. Yeah. I, I try to put books near my bed so that I can read myself to sleep by candlelight or just like a very uh, dim light. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I do that maybe 50% of the time. And then the other time I'm watching a show and I'm I'm not <laughs> following my own <laughs> advice. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I luckily don't have many issues falling asleep only when I have these big events in my life or something I'm afraid of yeah. happening. And and to remind yourself too, if if you have if you have insomnia, Lisa, or if you notice that the anxiety is driving the insomnia to there are a lot of things that you can do from a mindfulness perspective to help yourself in that moment. So one thing is bringing to mind this um, idea of equanimity. And we have phrases of equanimity that really help us to accept the state our mind is in. Because part of what what exacerbates anxiety is rejecting, right? Resisting. Like, I don't want to feel anxious. I can't feel anxious. I have to sleep. That voice and that energy is going to just perpetuate the the intensity. So instead, you know, first of all, sit up in bed or or even go to another room. That's been shown to be really helpful instead of trying to do all these, use all these tools like while you're trying to fall asleep. And then um, there are these wonderful phrases of equanimity where you can say, may I be with this? emotion, the emotions that are brought up right now, just as they are. 
May I be with the resistance I feel or the fear I feel just as it is. And in that way, you're relating to it with, you're giving it more space to breathe. It's, it's like you're speaking directly to the fear itself and saying, it's, it's okay, I can hold you, I can be with you. You're not a problem. Um, because thinking it's a problem is what's ramping up the anxiety yeah. about it. Yeah. So those are really helpful. And then to maybe even go into some phrases of loving kindness, like, may I feel rested and at ease? May I feel, may I sleep deeply? You know, just whatever intention or thing that you're wanting the most to invite those as phrases and wishing yourself well. And that has been shown, loving kindness especially, has been shown to activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest and digest mode, and take us out of that fight, flight, freeze mode. Yeah. I also think, Lisa, maybe if the anxiety is really, really present, you know, there's always the option if it's available to you to maybe talk to somebody, a therapist, or or to get some help unwinding some of the thoughts that are in your head that are chronic, that are, you know, because it's like I keep going back to the part about Lisa, that it being a chronic pattern. So I do think, you know, there there may be only so much that can be done with all the sleep training and the thoughts. Like it may be something for you to consider as well. Exactly. There are many biological, physiological causes of insomnia that you might not even, we, we can't possibly self-diagnose. So to see someone and get that, that feedback and um, more clarity on what's driving it can be really helpful. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I hope that you are not listening to this at night before bed. I hope that, that you have a lovely night's sleep tonight, Lisa. Yes. And well, I want to give a big shout out to Russell, Amanda, and Lisa for sharing their questions with us. And if you want to ask us a question about anything, all you have to do is go to sayhi.chat slash dearheadspace. You're going to follow the prompts and you're going to record your question. Yeah. And you can even leave us mindful moments from your day, like oh. sharing sharing your wins and sharing your moments of uh, washing those dishes with greater <laughs> intentionality. <laughs> oh, no, not washing the dishes with intentionality. Or whatever you are. Just washing <laughs> yeah, the dishes. Or slamming the dishes in That's the sink. Right. That's right. <laughs> and if we use your question or we share your mindful moment and the show, you are going to get three free months of Headspace. You can use it for yourself. You can give it to someone in your family, a friend, mm. anyone you think might want it um, it's that's what the code is for and now as we wind down this episode we have a treat for you that's going to help you transition from this moment to the next one in your day yeah that's right so we've built in some time here so you can just take in what you just heard and it's really a moment to let your mind do whatever it wants to do so today we're leaving you with some sounds of owls in the forest in the midst of a light rain oh i love this so till next time, stay happy and stay healthy. And be kind to each other.
Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohen, Baron Farmar, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, and Eve Lewis Prieto. Sound recording and post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Merguia. And a very special thanks to Colleen Lutz. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.